Hey, folks. It is April in Dallas, and that means your host, Clayton Collins, is suffering through some pretty tough seasonal allergies. But I made it work, and I got a great episode in today with Gil Arbitsman, the Chief Financial Officer at UMortgage. For those of you that aren't familiar with UMortgage, this is Anthony Casa's new mortgage origination shop. And if you aren't familiar with Anthony, I'm surprised because the man is not afraid to be in the headlines. Anthony has made a lot of noise in his efforts of building AIM and now launching UMortgage and recruiting and acquiring some top talent into his organization. This conversation with Gil takes a look at a lot of the operational considerations from building a business and biz dev and marketing that you usually wouldn't have with the chief financial officer. But we get to have this conversation through the lens of the CFO, talk about the finance considerations of growing, acquiring, and recruiting in a tough market, and really get a glimpse into a a top-notch finance leader who has a true lens and a true focus on growth. I'm giving Gil a lot of compliments here, but I really did enjoy the conversation and think he's an incredibly smart finance leader. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Gil Arbitsman, the Chief Financial Officer at UMortgage. Gil, welcome to Housing News. Thank you so much, Clayton. Thrilled to have you. So, Gil, as I was prepping for this conversation, I I looked at your timeline and your your most recent role as as CFO at U Mortgage, and you started in June of of twenty twenty two, which um you know arguably is a you know it's a tough time to start a new role in finance in the housing industry as Q four Q three and Q four kind of like set off the pivot points of like a a relatively brutal housing recession. So give us a, give us a glimpse into like kind of your decision-making process of, of changing roles in that like kind of that hot period in summer of 2022 and kind of what it's been like ramping into this new capacity of CFO at UMortgage. Yeah. So early 2022 was an interesting time. Um, you know, I can't say I had a crystal ball and I knew how the whole year was going to turn out, but it was pretty evident that the, the market was running a little too hot. Uh, the Fed was going to step in with intervention measures, uh, and sort of the, the, the hornet's nest was going to get shaken. Uh, so when I was thinking about, you know, my future, uh, I really wanted to align myself with a company that was focused not just on, you know, navigating the waters over the next 18 months, but really a company that had a long-term, uh, sort of approach. Uh, so, when I, when I first spoke to Anthony, it was actually March of 2022. Um, I'd say I was vetting him more than he was vetting me. Uh, and the more we spoke, the more it was clear that we had full alignment on our core values, uh, on what we thought about the market and, and what we thought the best model for a mortgage company in 2022 and beyond. Yeah, I, I want to come back and talking about you, mortgage and Anthony. I've asked him all the questions, but I'm dying to like hear like the vantage point of another member of of the executive team. So I want to come back and spend some time there. But let's let's focus in on the on the market for a minute. So like Q3 and Q4, like super painful pivot points for some. For you know, for for folks that were deep in a refi pipe, it felt like a little bit of respite for a minute, like had a little bit of a breather, but volume fell off so fast. How did you? handle being part of you mortgage or how did you handle being part of the um, the mortgage business in that period of of such rapid change yeah so you mortgage is an interesting position because we are a startup right the company's only two years old now 
Uh, so we've been growing, but I'll be honest, it's easy to grow when you're small. So uh, I will say, you know, we were not unaffected by by the market conditions. I'll say, you know, we, we liked our growth Q2 2022. We liked our growth in Q3. Q4, we saw early Q4. I mean, it was bad out there. And we saw we were kind of flattening out. And, you know, everyone else was shrinking. The market was shrinking. We weren't growing. Um, and we quickly pivoted and we made a conscious effort to be uh, proactive and really focus on growing our LO uh, base and uh, really focusing on focusing on relationships uh, and building those, you know, proving our value and our LOs proving our value to their local markets. Um, and that really helped us um, by doubling our growth in Q4. As from, I know you like you came from a background with a lot of FP&A, financial planning and analysis experience. How do you weigh like thinking about the KPIs of running a mortgage lender? And specifically in this time period, when you talk about kind of a, a lender um, that was in a growth phase, flattens out, and then a shift to focusing on originator growth. And like from my vantage point, there has to be kind of a measure of how do we think about productivity per originator? And then how do we think about like total volume growth for, for the organization and, and balance those in a way? So like, how are you thinking about the KPIs in that period? And, and has that evolved at all as we've come into the first half of 2023? Yeah. So what we do is we focus on sort of what's the process and, and we think our peer to peer community, uh, our LOs challenge each other. Um, they share best practices and again, by focusing on your local community, focusing on relationships, uh, following the playbooks that we laid out for our salespeople, uh, we've seen people, you know, the guy doing two loans a month is can now do four. The gal doing five loans a month can now do 10. So you know, we really believe in our model and, and we've seen LOs have a lot of success. So what do you, so let's, let's go deeper on that. Like, so what are, what are some of the practices that you're seeing get passed across the, the network, the, the, the coworkers that are helping people move from two to four and how much of that is market driven from like Q4 being like, just like doldrums of production to like a little bit of activity in the first half of, or the, the beginning of a spring home buying season. And how much of that is like just productivity and skill and best practices that are getting passed across the org. Right. So we're, we're building a scalable model here. Uh, so we, you know, we could have looked at the dip in the market and said, Hey, let's pull back the spending, right? Hey, do we need to hire another, uh, body of marketing department? Do we need to create all these great assets that our LOs can use? Or should we, you know, save some nickels here, save some quarters here? And we decided to go full throttle, right? We're continuing to invest in our infrastructure. And we think that's why a lot of our LOs had success when the rest of the industry was declining. And when I mentioned that scalable model, you know, when you have an LO base of 300 plus LOs, like you can build assets that are customizable by the LO so that you don't have to make individual assets for each LO. And everything we do from our technology team to our marketing team, uh, it's all built for scale. And we think that we can support, you know, continuing our LO growth. And when we have a thousand LOs, we won't have to double or triple our marketing team or double or triple our technology team. And we think in this market, the only way to survive is with scale. Um, so everything we do, uh, you know, from our corporate infrastructure standpoint, um, has that scale in mind. That's interesting. I like a little behind the scenes at HW, our vice president of, um, 
of finance and accounting. Uh, his name's Andrew. Like, I mean, him and I are attached at the hip and talking about forecasts and reforecasts and financial form- performance and thinking about allocation of resources and this, this question that um, I think leaders in all industries, particularly in housing with the cyclical elements have to think about when they're ready to put the foot on their foot on the gas and a growth cycle. And when is the time where you need to be more, more cautious on spending. And, um, we're so active in thinking about the, the financial conditions and the market conditions that kind of give us a, an indicator of when is the right time to get more aggressive and put our foot on the gas, um, and not be too early, but definitely not be late. Like I'm looking at like any operating a business in a cyclical market, as um, this is the market to eat up market share. And this is the market to really be aggressive on bringing new capabilities and uh, and growth initiatives to market. So t- tell me about like the role you play in your organization on thinking about the allocation of resources and like growth mindset versus like protect the core mindset. Yeah. So uh, growth is important to us and, and like, we're all about full transparency and Anthony's very vocal on, on LinkedIn and social media. Uh, and while you might think that he's speaking to an audience of LOs who might want to join you mortgage, he's actually speaking to our corporate team members. Uh, I think it's important in this market. Um, you were posted on LinkedIn recently about all the fear, uncertainty and doubt out there in the market. Like our people see that. How can you avoid it? It's everywhere, right? It's on all the headlines. Uh, so, you know, we want to project not just confidence in what we're building, um, but confidence in our future growth. And I think that's, um, good for team member morale. Um, it, it clarifies the growth path for our team members to become our future leaders. And we're committed to developing our future leaders, uh, and just generally, uh, helps with buy-in and our long-term vision. Um, so that's kind of where our, our head's at in communicating our vision for our future growth. Yeah. You might have for like, you know, the, 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 the perceived size that I kind of assume you mortgage is at right now, you may have one of the more complicated jobs as CFO in terms of managing a, um, a, a capital table of, uh, of a lot of employee owners in the business. And, um, I, I'm bringing that up right now because I think it ties right into this, like this buy-in that you're starting to, to talk about in terms of team member buy-in to strategy and growth. So give, give us a glimpse into the, employee ownership plan that that you and the executive team at, at you mortgage introduced and, and and how that's playing out yeah so when i joined uh in the middle of 2022 um anthony had a growth plan in mind and we knew that it would take a capital investment uh to get there and we considered various uh funding sources we talked to private equity uh we talked to some big players in the mortgage market uh and to be honest we, we d- didn't really want that influence uh, in our company. We, we believe in our culture. We believe in our team members. Uh, and we thought that you know raising capital from our branch managers, loan originators, and team members uh, was the way to go. And, and I would say we set, up a plan, set out a plan and over the next 120 days, we raised $6 million from about three dozen uh, insiders. Uh, and I think that was the best decision we could have made. Um, those 30 some odd team members took on an, an owner mentality. Uh, and, you know, the success of that led to the rollout of new shares, which is our team member uh, equity opportunity. Uh, so remember, this is after tax dollars that our team members are investing in the company. Uh, and when a team member becomes an owner, you know, 
they have a mindset shift, right? If there's a pain point, they don't want to just throw a body at it, right? They're thinking long-term and they understand that, you know, like I mentioned before, like building for scale, like, I, I, you know, now they understand the goal here isn't just my paycheck next month. The goal here is setting this company up and setting our team members up for success when we grow to a thousand LOs, when we continue to double our volume quarter over quarter. Uh, and we've had over a hundred, uh, team members, uh, sign up to invest. And, and we think that number is going to continue to grow and the benefits that we've seen, uh, from those early investors, we, you know, I'm excited to see that same thing from, uh, from these team members as well. That's interesting. I mean, there's so many different flavors of employee equity programs from, from ESOPs to an incentive equity plans, to to option pools, the, the path that, that you chose with growth equity rounds funded almost entirely by existing team members has some major positives in terms of buy-in. There has to be some risk as, as you kind of played, like, I mean, I imagine that as CFO, you have to play devil's advocate sometimes on, on strategies and think about the risks and the downside. What were some of the risks that you, you kind of brought to the table that you guys have either said, no, that's, that's not a risk. We can handle it or, um, or something that you're still kind of aware that, Hey, this is, this is a lingering challenge with this model, but it's worth it because X. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, there's really, it's very low risk, actually. I mean, it's a very low barrier to entry, low barrier to exit. So we tell our team members, there's no lockup period, vesting period, you know, complex calculation. I mean, you sign up, you contribute, you're a shareholder. You want out, there's a process to get out. So, you know, we don't want people thinking like they're tying up their equity and then their hands are tied behind their back if they want to leave the industry or buy a house or anything like that. Fully flexible. Uh, I think one of the advantages of it is just adds to the the, the accountability and, and and pressure on our management team to to not just support our team members as our employees, but to ensure their long term success and and work to not just help homeowners, but also to build long term shareholder value for our investors. Does that put pressure on, or not pressure, but like a responsibility on you to be doing monthly, quarterly, or annual kind of like mark to market on equity? Like, how, how do you think about like the the inflow and outflow of capital, and like the you know the challenge of constantly valuing a small business? Yeah, so right, we're we're constantly looking at the, right that our valuation is built on our assumptions on growth, and we're constantly measuring our actual growth against our expectations in the last two quarters have actually exceeded our expectations. So that's great, but that doesn't mean future quarters will continue. So we're constantly staying on top of that. Um, but we're also being very proactive about our growth. So that, I mean, whether that comes to acquisitions um, or just general LO recruiting, um, everything we're doing, like I said, building for scale and being proactive about um, setting ourselves up for success, not just in this market, but in future markets. Okay, so you mentioned the six million raise that became U shares. As you think about capital allocation, can you kind of lead us into like how capital that's through cash flow or capital through U shares or other investment capital, how that's being deployed and how it flows into the growth strategy? Yeah, so I would say the the twenty twenty two capital raises uh, that was spent really on two investments. So the first was building up our corporate infrastructure. So that means our technology, uh, and also, you know, building up the corporate support teams that can support our loan originators when they come on. We have a fantastic marketing team, 
We have a great technology team and even our HR compliance finance teams. Um, I would call them best in class. And that's what our LOs expect when they join New Mortgage. And we want to make sure that we deliver on that expectation when they join. You kind of have to build the infrastructure before the LOs come on board. Because if the LOs come and you haven't built it yet, they'll go right back out the door. So that was a big investment. The second was on acquisitions. So we acquired in Q4. You know, we, I would say... I would say from the second half of 2022, we were focused, you know, having discussions with a lot of high performing brokerages and, and LOs around the country. But really Q4, when we saw that market turning, we knew that was time to put our foot on the gas. And, and we acquired the number one brokerage in Texas uh, and we acquired the number one brokerage in Ohio. Uh, and this is not just like to add LOs to our roster. This is not just to buy their book of business. The focus here is we added two fantastic entrepreneurs who know how to run a business. So we have Tyler Hodgson in Texas. He's helping us focus on our growth. And we have Brian Price in Ohio, uh, who's helping us roll out a national uh, sales development program. So we think the return on investment of bringing those um, guys on board is really going to be in their contributions to the overall company, more you know, on top of their individual production. So like kind of going into this strategy where you thought acquisition would be would be part of the playbook. You mortgage Anthony like doesn't stay out of the headlines very much. Like Anthony is not afraid of being front and center and um that comes with like positive press and also like scuttle and people people who have like questioned the strategy. So as as you frame up this acquisition strategy, like h- how would you like categorize the acquisition of a brokerage um, is it more like an aqua hire or recruiting effort or, or are there characteristics which kind of ring true with your background in M&A? Well, so remember, we're growing at a pretty fast clip. And while there are a lot of uh, mortgage professionals, you know, available to hire, um, just given the market contraction, um, you know, we need we need operations people to support this increase in volume. So it's not just like an aqua hire of the, you know, broker owner that brokerage, right? It's the fantastic team, the 50 team members they have, the 20 team members they have that come on. And what we see in the industry, um, mergers happen, but then the two companies continue to operate separately and inefficiently. What we do here is we built a roadmap of integration, right? We integrate uh, these new hires into our technology. We integrate them into our culture and they hit the ground running. So, uh, you know, I would say, Absolutely. We're open and honest about wanting to bring on that entrepreneur. Um, but it's really the, the team that they built. Uh, and sometimes through that act, through that integration, you know, we as a company in, adopt some of the best practices that, that they've used in their success. Um, so we think it's a real symbiotic relationship and, um, you know, we'll keep that in mind as we continue to, uh, expand. We have another, Q2, I uh, can't say who or where in the country, but another brokerage um, that we're um, acquiring. And Which time zone? Can we get a little bit closer? Let's see. It's either West Coast, Pacific, Mountain, Central, or East, but I can't tell you which. Oh, okay, man. You're really giving us all the details here. I appreciate it, Gil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Gil. So let's let's dive in a little bit more on the on the topic of of acquisitions. So the first two acquisitions incredibly important on bringing in operational talent, processes and leaders into the organization. 
if you think about acquisition pipeline going forward, are there, I imagine you don't want to keep doing deals and bringing in their process. Cause like you've, you've built infrastructure, you guys are originating, originating loans. So there's a strategy shift over time. And as you think about deals in 2023, whether it's this one that is in that very specific time zone, somewhere between East coast and West coast, um, is that some more production focused or is that another talent play? Like, how do you think about the future of deals? Yeah. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for our branch managers, but to be completely honest, our branch managers are not trained on developing our people. Uh, and as we continue, uh, in 2023, uh, I think our focus is going to be on, uh, a centralized sales development platform. Um, cause be honest, let's be honest, our LOs that come to you mortgage are attracted to leadership. And when I say leadership, I don't mean just a branch manager who, I don't know, gives somebody a desk and, takes a little override on them. I mean, we're talking about helping them structure their day, helping them, like I said before, get from five loans to 10 loans. Uh, and we think that on a scalable platform um, with consistency nationwide, uh, we think that's the best approach. So as we scale, um, you know, we'll look at uh, a greener LO and we'll put them into sort of one vertical that gives them structure and holds them accountable to their daily actions. And maybe 12 months later, they graduate into the next phase uh, where they continue to build uh, local relationships. And then they continue to move up to the next strategy. Now maybe they start coaching other LOs uh, and, and that helps them stretch themselves and get better. Uh, so, you know, we've identified uh, this plan and we're excited to roll it out. Hi, this is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief of HW Media, and I'm talking to Ed Messman, CEO at Rook Capital, about their Shared Value Investment Program. Ed, how does Shared Value Equity Financing work within the mortgage ecosystem? Yeah, it's a completely complimentary offering. Um, you can almost view Shared Equity as an extension of the homebuyer's down payment provided by a community of partners, but it pairs perfectly with traditional mortgage products offered by banks, credit unions, and IMBs and allows them to get creative in how they provide solutions to their customers. Thanks, Ed. And listeners, you can find out more at rook.capital. Interesting. Okay, so we can peel back the onion a little bit here and make the assumption that the next deal is going to have uh, some some world class sales development or or new broker training capabilities. Okay, might be able to narrow down a little bit there, but that, that's interesting though. So like your first two deals were instrumental in helping build some of like the operations process and a certain role of leadership. Now you're looking at hey, what's another capability that a world class organization has, and that's people and strategy and sales training is, is a big part of that. Um, if we're to like design the perfect origination shop, what else is missing? Like, all right, so we have, we have process, you have finance, you have ops, you're going to have sales strategy. Like what else like comes down in like the capability set that like might be able to be acquired faster than built organically. Yeah. I think we're always on the lookout. Um, at what our existing pain points are uh, and how we can get better. And then is there someone out there that can complement that? Um, and then we'll consider it. I think another thing that we're laser focused on, you look around the industry, everyone's got that, hey, how are we going to navigate these waters? We just got to survive the next 18 months, right? Uh, but in this market, is it only going to be 18 months? I know in you know 
past markets, like, you know, that dip is around one to two years. Can you stomach it? Can you, can you, can you fund your business until you can make it back up, you know, after that period? I think all bets are off now with, with the unprecedented Fed intervention after COVID. The market's kind of broke. Everything's distorted. I'm not sure how long this is going to last. And I think a lot in the industry are pulling back. Uh, and I think that's going to benefit those who are continuing to make those investments, continuing to keep their foot on the gas like we are. And like I said, when the dust settles, only the players with scale are going to survive. And we want to be one of those. Yeah. What's really interesting, our managing editor, James Kleinman, was just talking about this in our, our Housing Mart Daily podcast, is if you go back in the history of mortgage origination in each cycle – um, it is not the same top 10 players on the, on the top of the humble list, cycle in, cycle out. Lenders come, lenders go, lenders disappear, lenders merge, lenders get acquired. Um, and like one of those like examples that we just saw really recently was, was home point, you know, kind of came out of, you know, came out of nowhere in the last cycle, built a top 15 origination shop and, and now is, is part of, of the loan store. And I think that. We can make the safe assumption as we look forward past this market trough. When we look at the other side, we cross the we cross the chasm of this um, low inventory, high ish interest rate environment. There will be 10, 20, 50 new lenders in that top humda list, and this is the time that they are built. Absolutely. Think about ten years ago. What were you doing ten years ago? Oh, me. I was. Um, 13. Uh, I was an investment banker. I was at, uh, I was at Royal Bank of Canada doing media M&A advisory. Um, 15 years ago, I was more interesting than that though. I was managing a retail bank branch for, for Citigroup in Manhattan at, during the financial crisis. That was a, that was a fun one. And I was across the street working at a big four accounting firm. And then 10 years ago, I was at an investment bank and here we are. So if you're not constantly stretching yourself, challenging yourself, evolving. Uh, and that's really our focus here at U-Mortgage. I mean, look around the industry, you look at a typical processor. What were they doing 10 years ago? Processing. You look at an underwriter, what were they doing 10 years ago? Underwriting. What we're doing here at U-Mortgage is, is we're trying to give them a path, right? When we talk about our growth, that, that's opportunity for our team members. So if you're a processor today, you're an underwriter today, You know, maybe in 10 years, maybe in five years, maybe in two years, now you're a business analyst on our technology team, helping to train and develop our future leaders in processing and underwriting. Or with our growth, we'll have opportunities for more team leaders. Um, so, you know, if you don't want to be doing what you're doing today in five years or 10 years, you need to stretch yourself. You need to challenge yourself. And we, it's our job as the leadership team at U-Mortgage to provide those opportunities for our team members. So Gil, so talking about how like the industry changes and how we stretch ourselves, let, let's go a little bit deeper into the funding strategy, which you are, are leading and part of the team on with, with you mortgage. And I, is it safe to kind of put you mortgage in the kind of the non-delegated core bucket right now? Yeah, we, uh, we were probably 75% non-delegated. We just got approved by FHA. So we are now full mini core uh, and we love it. It's best of both worlds. I think we have the lender optionality that the broker space um, loves and, and, you know, when one wholesale lender pulls back, another one steps up and, and that keeps them honest and, and accountable. 
but we also have the support that the retail channel offers, like I mentioned with our fantastic marketing team and the scalable assets that they produce for our loan originators. I mean, you need to be top of mind in this market and our LOs can do that because we give them content for their socials. We give them content, um, you know, for pamphlets, flyers, lunch and learns. Like we, we build, uh, you know, slide decks that they can present to, to local realtor partners. We, we give them the roadmap to host events that drive business. Uh, so we think that combination of, of, you know, broker pricing, broker lender optionality, but with that support that you get in retail, uh, we think it's the best model for, for this and future markets. So this isn't your first role as CFO of a, of a mortgage bank, but I know, you know, you're, you're relatively young leader in the grand scheme of like CFOs and in, in mortgage land, but you, you know enough about the history. So the concept of mini core has been around for, for, for a while. How are you seeing like funding strategies and capital strategies change in the mortgage ecosystem or, or are they not changing? Is it just like more of the same with new players, like, you know, cycle in, cycle out? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I would say in previous markets, I would say, you know, there's good times to be a mini correspondent and, and, and other times not. I think right now, um, I'm glad that we are. What are the what are the dynamics that make it a good time or a bad time? I would say the margin compression today. I would not want to be a wholesale lender. I mean, we have infrastructure, especially these legacy lenders, and this is what happened on point. I mean, you invest in this infrastructure, and in the normal in the normal market, you know, there's ebbs and flows, and you can kind of float that. Um, but now, it, with uncertainty as to how long this this down market is going to last. Um, you know, I think a lot of lenders are looking themselves in the mirror and saying, you know, do we have the patience, uh, and do we have the guts to, to wait this one out? Uh, or are we better off just having an exit? We came into 2023 with a lot of industry, you know, analysts and, and talking heads, probably myself included, um, talking about big consolidation wave in, in, in 2023. And, you know, that some of that consolidation is, is coming to fruition and we're some, seeing some of those deals come together. But as, as you, let's, let's kind of exit out of you mortgage mindset for a second and think about like kind of the broader industry. Do you, what do you anticipate in, in Q2 and the rest of this year on the M&A front? Has, has the year played out differently than you anticipated? Kind of broader M&A talk? I think we're going to see players with large market share continue to increase their market share. And, and we can see that with UWM, the perfect example with this 1% down conventional product. That's just them saying, we're in it for the long haul. We want more market share and this is how we're going to do it. I mean, that's going to cost them tens, if not hundreds of million dollars in cash but they have a long-term focus and, and do their competitors have the, like I said, do they have the guts and do they have the bankroll, uh, you know, to, to make that investment? And I don't know if that's the case. So I think, you know, like I said, scale is going to win and when the dust settles. And um, I, I, I think if you're taking a step back today, um, you won't be around tomorrow. I think that's, I think that perspective is spot on across all industries, especially industries that operate with some cyclical components. And these negative cycles, these recessions, the big get bigger because the small get squeezed. They don't have the resources to muscle through. They don't have the capital access or 
leadership capabilities to to do deals and muscle through margin compression or or losses. It is a it is fascinating. You go back in history and kind of look at how in a lot of sectors the big just get bigger as they go through recessions. And uh, you know, it has some really positive aspects, but it also like, you know, it's challenging in the industry. Whole, wholesale lending is is one of those. Like the the mantra of wholesale has been um, optionality and having lots of lots of lenders to go to for different product sets and um, and optionality definitely still exists in this market. But you know, it's it's not um not necessarily a positive thing to see like some of like the number four, five, six, like the the, the non top three players get like squeezed out of the market. I'm mean, sure that's got to be painful for for a lot of their clients who who looked to them for optionality. Right. And another example there is, is outside of mortgage, it's just in the banking space. We saw what happened recently with some of those regional banks. And guess who the winner is? The big guys. Hey, we can't have too big to fail institutions, Gil. Let's merge some of like the smaller players into the big ones and make them bigger. I, I just not good for the, it's not good for the consumer. That's, that's the problem here is when there's only three banks out there, you know, you're not going to have free checking accounts. You're not going to have free debit cards. Uh, and the same can be said in mortgage. So, um, I think we're going to see some consolidation, but I hope for the consumer's sake and for homeowner's sake, um, there's still enough competition out there um, to, to keep financing affordable. That's been one of the big, most confusing parts for me about like some of the Federal Reserve strategies. I know the Federal Reserve understands and does not want to create too big to fail institutions or support the further growth of too big to fail institutions, um, but the rhetoric also seemed pretty callous to the idea that like, Hey, some small mid-market specialty banks are going to fail. Like in the SVB scenario, um, it is exactly the, uh, the monetary policy that creates more concentration of, of capital. Yeah, I agree completely. I don't know. I, I think a lot of this is sort of like a mess that they created. Um, but then again, we went through sort of an unprecedented global pandemic that, you know, I, I I sort of, you know, they they did the best they can, and now they're trying to clean it up. But I think uh, in the end, it's just going to benefit the big guys and, and hurt the consumer. So I hope that whatever they devise, um, you know, keeps consumers' best interests in mind. So let's let's talk about like kind of the digitalization and and technology innovation across across housing. And um, I'm I'm interested kind of from the you know perspective of investments you're you're making at U Mortgage, but. Overall, like we're operating in a tough market right now. We, like I said earlier, kind of higher than desired interest rates, super low inventory. Uh, but the houses that do list are are moving faster. And we've um, Mike Simonson, who's our president of our Altus division, he shared yesterday in a webinar that of all of the homes that went on market last week, over twenty five percent have already been absorbed by by Monday of this week. So um, we're talking about this like inventory crisis but the reality is the market's just moving fast like people are still out there bidding people are discovering homes faster on on zillow and realtor.com and, and other digital platforms which puts pressure on mortgage lenders to to move quickly and um be able to to pre-qual and close loans on time how are how is you mortgage thinking about technology strategy and empowering originators with digital tools to to move at the speed of of modern real estate yeah so our tech stack uh, is completely accessible on any device, uh, and that's helped our LOs, um, you know, from a speed standpoint, um, getting the information in front of their borrowers um, immediately, 
in a format that's easy to interpret and understand, uh, easy to interact with their consumer. Uh, you know, we're all about relationship focus here. So, uh, you know, techno- technological developments are going to speed up a lot of things in the mortgage industry, uh, particularly on the refi side. I think um, nothing can replace the relationships you have in your local community. And that's a focus at you mortgage. And I think uh, the technology is going to help and it's going to speed things up, um, but it's not going to replace that in-person uh, relationship piece of the business. Yeah, it should enable more in-person interaction. So is that like, so when you're building a tech stack that is fully mobile, like moving across um, mobile device to uh, to tablet, to to um, laptop computer and like not being tied to a desktop. Does that kind of flow into cultural expectations for originators? Like, Hey, you're like, Hey, you're not tied to your, like your two monitor rig here, like get out, be in the field. Like, is that flow through or is that kind of look different across the originator base? Yes. I mean, here's a perfect example. Uh, We're recording this podcast. I'm sitting in uh, Salt Lake city, Utah. Uh, We're here for the grand opening of our, uh, one of our great branches out here. Uh, and you know, it's not just Anthony and I here. Um, we had a lot of our, uh, top producers fly in to support, uh, Jimmy Hobson, Kyle Kohler and Adam West on their grand opening. We had about 350 people here yesterday. There was a bounce house, a face painter. Uh, it was a fantastic event, uh, all about community, all about relationships. But the best part about it was I got to observe a lot of our top producers from Ohio and Georgia, you know, working, supporting their customers. From here in Utah, I mean, you can't do that without a tech stack that allows full access from any device anywhere in the country. And, um, you know, it allows them to get out from behind that keyboard, um, build relationships, foster that um, peer-to-peer network, um, see best practices in other markets um, while still, you know, supporting their pipeline. That's really interesting. So that that deal that you're announcing in Q2, were they out there at this uh, grand opening as well? No comment. Can't can't get you there. I got to think of a better framing to to trip you into trip you into that one, Gil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Gil, I, I I've kind of one last question, kind of on. So this branch just opened in in Salt Lake City, and um, Hobson, like this is a former another former like broker shop that has joined you mortgage right uh, they've been here for but they're growing so fast this is actually a grand opening of their new office um it's a fantastic office uh the goal here is to create a space for the community um to educate homeowners to educate realtors um and they have a space um after so many years of just sitting in your home office it's a space for people to come together to learn about other areas of the business to educate consumers um, and really just bring the community together. And we think this is a model that other uh, originators at U-Mortgage can replicate in their local communities. Um, and, you know, 350 people don't show up to an event because there's a food truck, right? They show up because they respect and support um, what these guys have built here in Salt Lake City. Uh, and I think that that speaks volumes about their character, but also about the U-Mortgage model. Um, they were very successful prior to coming to U-Mortgage, but coming to U-Mortgage allowed them to sort of rid themselves of, you know, sort of the administrative aspects of, of running a brokerage and, and let corporate support you while you go out and continue to to build your business. Yeah. I know there's been, so like, I know there's been like 
you're recruiting a lot. So people talk about you mortgage and there's been critique that like a bunch of brokers joining a, a mini core when like there was also an opportunity to recruit from the retail channel. Cause I know that was a, you know, a line of talk that was really, really important. Are you seeing a, like a, a kind of a cultural difference between the folks that fit well at, at mortgage, like people that were formerly brokers and had that independent mindset fit in really well and people that came out of a large retail lender fit or don't fit? Like how does that kind of, um, cultural background from like the support and the level of independence that people have had at a different shop in the past influence how successful they'll be at you mortgage, which is normally a question I wouldn't ask a CFO, but since you were so intimately involved in the, the BD side of M and A and recruiting, I feel like this is something you've thought about. Yeah. And I look at the P and L's, so I know who succeeds. So I know the, the, the sort of archetype of who's going to succeed here. And you'd be surprised. It's not, just someone who comes from the broker channel or just someone who comes from the retail channel. Oftentimes you find there's someone in retail who really doesn't belong in retail because, you know, they're a go-getter. They don't really, you know, need all the perks and spending or whatever leads to 500 basis points of margin. Uh, you know, and they succeed more, you know, over here. And then we have people in the broker channel who really had no business being there, right? Because, you know, they get bogged down by the administrative tasks that, you know, being a small business owner, uh, comes with. So, uh, you know, we're probably at the point where we're recruiting, you know, 50% from retail, 50% from broker. I think we're the best of both worlds. And, um, you know, we're not come one, come all, but only come if you think this is the place for you to succeed. Yeah. it's. I mean, when we talked about capital strat funding strategy and like kind of the, the timing and the market characteristics and make mini core an attractive place to be that, yeah, that is kind of, that's helpful for me to understand why some brokers might be choosing like to join a shop like eMortgage at this point in time in a cycle. And um, I think where like the rubber meets the road on long-term success is when cycles change, do they choose to stay or are there like funding strategies that attract? I don't know. Like it's a, it's like thing markets ebb and flow. Have you guys thought about how the other side of this market, is there a, a strategy that retains and makes sure that the pieces that you've invested so much in bringing together stay together? Absolutely. So we're, we're, we're a purchase focused company and our LOs are purchase focused. I mean, until rates are three and a half percent again, and then you can be a refi focused company, right? So we're, <laughs> we're not just planning, you know, the next couple of months, right? We're, we're thinking for that future, right? We know what's happening in, in end of 2024, 2025, right? So how can we build an infrastructure where the LO can benefit and capitalize on the refinance market while still continuing to focus on your purchase origination business? And, and we've gone as far as pulling uh, some key contributors out of our business to solely focus on building that future of your mortgage. And uh, I think we'll be set up well to not just uh, succeed in that market, but to prove our value and retain our LOs in that market. All right, Gil, best of luck out in Utah with this, uh, this location reopening or opening. Um, sounds like a great community that's coming together out there. Appreciate your time and transparency today. Um, I, uh, you know, some, in some organizations, the CFO is so laser focused on a specific part of the business. It seems like you kind of have a, a broader reach with your executive team and, and Anthony at you mortgage. So really exciting getting to explore, a lot of topics as it relates to the business through the through the finance lens. Believe me, I have my days where I lock myself in my office and uh, 
And I get dive into the numbers, but you know, you can't lead behind a screen and you got to get out there and really understand your customer. And my customer is a loan originator. Uh, so we try and get out as much as possible um, and spend time with our people. We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax, and Home Services and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.